You're listening to the Comic Critics Podcast, a radio program and podcast produced at CHMR FM in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. It's the show where we consider, critique, and recommend comic books, graphic narratives, and other forms of comic-related popular culture. And welcome back to the Comic Critics Corner, the podcast and radio program where we talk all about comics, graphic novels, and other interesting aspects of popular culture. I'm one of your hosts, Hans Rollman, and this week we have back in the studio, we had him as a guest a few weeks ago, David Stevens. Hi. And uh, David is a comic... Enthusiast? (laughs) Yeah. David is a comic enthusiast, he rather modestly describes himself as, uh, who, of course, works at Time Masters, the local comic book institution. We are excited to tap into your brain this week and uh, talk all especially about some of the great uh, picks and releases from 2018 as we head toward the end of the year. It's a good opportunity to look back and reflect on some of what we've, uh, we've come into this year. But also some of what we've lost. We were talking before the program, and it's been kind of a sad year in terms of um, losing a lot of uh, important people from the the comics and uh, film field, hasn't it? It has. Um, You know, everyone, of course, heard the death of Stan Lee last week. Um, You know, he was 95. uh, Huge, huge persona in the industry. And, I mean, he was a household name. Everyone knew Stan Lee. Uh, And everyone, I think, was affected by Stan Lee's death. Uh, whether they are they had read a Marvel comic in their life or not, um, but we lost, you know, a good thirty to forty percent of the original Marvel bullpen this year alone. Uh, Stan Lee passed two weeks ago. About two months before that, Steve Ditko had passed, and Steve Ditko, of course, was famous for creating co-creating Spider-Man, uh, Doctor Strange. He had worked on the Incredible Hulk. Uh, he was a fabulous uh, artist and uh, he has such a quirky and unique style in a time when you know Jack Kirby's over-the-top heroes were dominating the field Ditko's sort of mousy figures were uh, were there for you know your inner outcast to relate to uh, and that's really what made Spider-Man a big hit I think between Stan's writing and Steve's art uh, we also lost uh, Flo Steinberg uh, who was one of the office administrators at Marvel at the time and you know industry veterans uh, came out in droves with their stories about how flow affected their lives. And, you know, it's really cool. Uh, one artist in particular who had worked at Marvel in the 80s, he had uh, shared a telegram he got from Flo uh, when he was first looking to work at Marvel. You know, those are the types of personal stories, and these are the people that are behind the scenes. Uh, another comic great that we lost that had worked at Marvel in the last year was Marie Severin. You know, she was a, a colorist and artist. Uh, she had worked at EC Comics. Uh, people have heard of Tales from the Crypt. She was partially responsible for the colors in those comics. She moved on to Marvel. She eventually started drawing at Marvel. In fact, she took over artist duties uh, from Steve Ditko when he quit Marvel on Doctor Strange, and she also drew the Incredible Hulk. So she was, you know, huge uh, in the field and you know, a pioneer in uh, women in the comics industry as well. It's astounding when you think back and, you know, these people probably had no idea at the time when they were, you know, working to build these companies and build these uh, great comic series. They had no idea what a foundation they were building for our contemporary popular culture. Well, for them, it was a paycheck, right? It was uh, turn in my page, turn in my script, turn in my coloring guide. 
uh, get my 150 or 200 dollars per page or whatever the page rate was at the time and job is done that's it I'm good to go um, you know these characters are not gonna last they'll you know uh, there's that famous story with Steve Dick or sorry Stan Lee um, where he had been writing monster comics or romance comics in the 50s for Atlas, which would later become Marvel. Uh, and Martin Goodman saw that Justice League was selling gangbusters across the street. And uh, he said to Stan, you, you need to do a superhero team book. Stan was about to quit, apparently. Uh, and his wife, Joan, had said to him, if you're going to do it, uh, do it your way. If you're going to quit anyway, and these characters aren't going to last, why don't you just do it your own way? And out came the Fantastic Four. And he added that layer of this dysfunctional family to the Fantastic Four. No longer were they just two-dimensional heroes that got into their costumes, punched the bad guy, end the threat, and no more interaction other than, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back. No, uh, Johnny Storm and, and the Thing, Ben Grimm, were fighting like cats and dogs. Uh, Sue was, uh, you know, having harboring a crush on Namor, who threatened Reed's love interest with Sue, and you know this whole dysfunctional and multi-dimensional uh, character development that would last for about 120 issues. I mean, that was Stan Lee's longest run, and same with Jack Kirby at Marvel. Quite sad to to lose all of these uh, important figures. But there's also been a lot of really great new material come out this year. There is. Uh, we've we live in a golden age, I think of. And, you know, this is kind of ironic to say it's a golden age of comics in 2018 when we think of the golden age of comics being the 40s. But, you know, we're, we're in an era now where reprints are readily available of older material that you know, people never would have thought. Uh, we have these great social media platforms like Kickstarter and GoFundMe and Indiegogo allowing people who've never had the resources before to publish things. Uh, and then we have, you know, this explosion of... Uh, creator-owned comics and independent comics and platforms like Comixology and Amazon uh, that allow people to to publish things that you know may not have been picked up in mainstream comics and there are things both in the superhero world that are shaking things up and outside the superhero world that are interesting as well um, going right into it the year started off in January with the release of uh, Exit Stage Left the Snagglepuss Chronicles and, of course, that was uh, written by Mark Russell and drawn by local talent Mike Fian. Um, it's the story of uh, Snagopus, the um, pink mountain lion that we all lo know and love from Hanna-Barbera. Um, he's a southern playwright in 1950s America, post-Red Scare, uh, well, post-Red Scare, during the Red Scare. Um, and he's gay. And he's in the closet, of course, and uh, there's a witch hunt for communists. This is during the, the McCarthy era, of course, and um, you know they're they're telling people name the your writers that are have communist leanings. Uh, we're blacklisting them. This is the Hollywood blacklist. This is the screenwriters blacklist, and uh, all deviants are being set out. It's a witch hunt, and you know it's a fantastic story it lasted, lasted six issues the trade paperback came out in august um and it's it's a great read honestly and mike's art is fantastic um his characters are very expressive and uh, his snagglepuss the way he draws snagglepuss you, you wouldn't expect um an anthropomorphic animal to look so human right it's it's uncanny hmm I haven't read it, but that that sounds. I, as I, I don't tend to read a lot of the anthropomorphic 
anthropomorphized animal uh, series, but the political backdrop sounds really interesting, the social and political backdrop. Well, it's what Mark Russell does best, right? Um, he did it with the Flintstones last year as well. You know, he takes uh, these characters that we associate with zany, Hanna-Barbera, 1960s cartoons, you know, like that wholesome Americana that we, we think of, and he turns it on its ear, and he introduces these uh, political and not always optimistic views on American politics and in social commentary. And it's really an interesting marriage of the two. I'm sold. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Um, one of the other things that came out recently, and uh, I was happy to see it actually made the top 10 uh, sellers list for graphic novels for October. So uh, Diamond Comics, the distributor for comics, actually keeps track of sales records for the top 100 comics, the top 100 graphic novels, the top 100 uh, action figures, etc. All the things they sell, which is a really useful tool for retailers. But in the top 10 graphic novels for October, at number 3, was My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. And this actually comes from the creative team, one of my favorite creative teams, I've spoken about them at the last podcast, uh, was Ed Brubacker and Sean Phillips. And the story revolves around, it's an original graphic novella uh, set within their criminal universe. And I mentioned the criminal universe on the last podcast. It's uh, uh, a universe of interconnected stories that are, are not necessarily continuing narrative. Uh, each volume is sort of self-contained, but there's an overarching con- continuity. My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies uh, centers around a girl who checks herself in the rehab and her story throughout her rehab experience relates back. She relates it to her mom being a junkie and then all of the musical influences, all of these musicians that she admires who had also been addicts, who had been heroin addicts, cocaine addicts, um, you know, mescaline, uh, so many other uh, illicit substances that she thinks gave them their personalities. And so she has no intention of actually completing this rehab um, I won't ruin the, the, the ending, but it ties in very nicely to a previous story. But it And it, it serves as a great standalone story and a great um, introspection as to can you really be happy? Um, can you actually be yourself when you're addicted to substances like that? And can you be a good person at the same time? It's really a, a great sort of analysis of, you know, does does a criminal, a person from a broken home in this instance, can she redeem herself? There's also the whole element of the association of so many of these creative people with uh, illicit substances and, and substance abuse. And, you know, so that there's a really interesting dimension of it, I think. I, I have no firsthand knowledge that Ed Brubeck or Sean Phillips have uh, have you know, been in that world, but it certainly, it certainly reads like they have firsthand experience themselves uh, with some of these, you know, the the inner turmoil that can come from uh, substance abuse and addictions, and it's it definitely adds a layer to the narrative that, on its surface, um, could even be told without the rehab and drug addictions uh, setting. One of the other big hits of the year, and this goes back to the superhero genre was Batman White Knight. 
and uh, that was written and drawn by Sean Gordon Murphy, uh, who had previously done works like Punk Rock Jesus. Um, DC allowed him to do what he wanted in the Batman universe because it was out of continuity, of course. It's an eight-issue miniseries. Uh, it's recently been released as a trade paperback. In fact, it actually topped the charts for October uh, as a graphic novel release. And the story kind of turns Batman on its ear a bit. So you start with the, the Joker being released from prison and he's on medication and he's turned straight. There's what a is twist. the world coming to? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the title White Knight refers to the Joker. Oh, wow. You know, and so he's got this, he's got all these plans for, to make Gotham a better place. And Batman, of course, doesn't believe him. And on its outside, Batman is sort of tumbling further down the rabbit hole of his paranoia. You know, he doesn't trust that the Joker is who he says he is. And I won't spoil anything as to where it goes, but it's a real interesting take on the characters where the Joker um, is actually doing good. And he makes a lot of sense in what he's saying. He sort of becomes a bit of a... Uh, of a rallying cry for the people of Gotham. And then Batman becomes a symbol of old money and the oppression of the system. It's interesting. It's a really interesting uh, take on the dynamic between the two. I, I love it when uh, you get these interventions that turn ex- accepted universes upside down mm. uh, because so many of these characters, they become almost archetypes, you know, for for good or evil or, you know, we, we associate them automatically with, with these traits and and I love when someone takes that and just flips it upside down and makes us really think what would it be like if it was the opposite or, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if we had a, a vigilante running around, you know, beating people to a pulp without reading them their rights and bringing them to a courthouse and It'd be seen as an authoritarian boogeyman, you know. He'd be mm-hmm. in the same line as the Gestapo or the KGB. He'd be, it would be, it would be the basis for throwing out a lot of criminal cases. I would imagine. I, I can't understand how, uh, in Batman's universe, any convictions actually upheld that has mm-hmm. him bringing a, a criminal in. Another recommendation that was given to me by a friend, actually, and this sort of stays within the superhero universe, as Green Lantern Earth One. Now, we've had actually two releases of Green Lantern in the last two months that have been really amazing stuff. Uh, Earth One is actually done by uh, Karina Becco and Gabriel Hartman. The two of them had previously worked at Image Comics on a sci-fi tale called Invisible Republic, um, which is apparently really good. I haven't read it yet, um, but Earth One is is taking Hal Jordan's um, taking Hal Jordan's origin as the Green Lantern and giving it a more believable sci-fi twist. So it's a l- in the near future, he's working on a mining uh, crew on an asteroid between uh, Jupiter and Mars. And he comes across a ship, finds the ring, um, has no idea what's going on, and he's just thrust into this Green Lantern world. You know, as opposed to just inheriting the ring and all this information is given to him and all of a sudden he's currently space cop number one, uh, he's he's at heart an explorer, an astronaut, who comes across an unknown alien artifact, and he's in the middle of things that he doesn't understand, and he has a this you know this ominous 
uh, villain that they, he has to sort of he doesn't realize that it's a villain. He doesn't realize that it's it's an antagonist until it's really too late, and that's the the Manhunters, which was a they were something that was introduced in Green Lantern lore in the main continuity. Uh, they were sort of the police of the universe before the Green Lantern Corps, and so but then they became sentient robots, decided to destroy everything. It's a very comic book, obviously, um, but what Harmon and Becko do is that they take it and they make it more um, realistic sci-fi. And the art kind of reflects that as well. It's very gritty. Uh, it's very almost 2001: A Space Odyssey in in its depiction of, of weightlessness and 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 what it's like to be in space and to be helpless. I don't read a lot of superhero comics, but I love the the sci-fi, um, a good sci-fi comic. You know, the the portrayal of, of space and space exploration is something I, I just crave. Yeah, the the friend who recommended it to me was he's a huge sci-fi fan and a big fan of Karina Becco, Karina Becco and Gabriel Hartman. So when he heard that they were doing Green Lantern, you know, he picked it up and he said, this is actually really good sci-fi on its own. You know, without the superhero backing, it's good on its own. It's been a good year for superhero comics. It has. Um, I mean, Marvel got restructured and we've had the relaunch of the Fantastic Four, which had not had a comic in several years. I imagine that ties into the fact that you know, uh, Disney bought Fox and now are able to incorporate the Fantastic Four into their movie universe. Uh, new Iron Man, new Amazing Spider-Man that apparently is doing really well as well. Uh, it's consistently in the top 10. Um, Spider-Man's arch nemesis Venom has gotten a, a relaunch and is the f- funny story about that is the writer for that, Donny Cates, he's now a rising star at Marvel and he went up to Alan Moore apparently and said, I think my Venom is better than your Watchmen. Oh, wow. And now it's become sort of a <laughs> in-joke in the industry that Donny Case's Venom is better than Watchmen. So much so that Dave Gibbons, the original artist for Watchmen, is doing a variant cover of Venom that spoofs Watchmen number one. <laughs> wow. I, I love the living culture that we see yeah. uh, playing out here. <laughs> it's wow. really cool stuff. Um, yeah. And with DC... Uh, They've got a superstar writer of their own, Tom King, who just finished up a run on uh, Mr. Miracle, who was a Jack Kirby property from the 70s. Tom King has this uncanny ability to tap into existential crisis in superheroes, which works really well because he's actually writing a miniseries right now. Issue 2 just came out uh, called Heroes in Crisis. And the premise of the story is that there's this sanctuary house where heroes and villains can go to seek psychiatric help oh that's interesting they can go and confess a little right it's Mm -hmm. almost like a confessional uh and it's it's supposed to be completely anonymous um someone kills all the heroes who happen to be in this building it's either harley quinn or booster gold now booster gold is a minor hero from the 90s created by dan jurgens uh and we don't know who so both of them are racing against the clock to sort of prove the other one did it. Hmm. But as in, interstitched between the action of, of that story are these one-page sort of confessionals from different heroes. And we get a bit of, of introspection into you know, their fears, their concerns, um, what really makes them tick. And Tom King uh, is just, he's good for this he's really good at at drawing out you know um the hero in crisis 
you know, hence the title. I, I love when you know you build a character in that in that regard. We were talking about um, talking about sci-fi. Uh, I. I, one of the the things I read recently that I really enjoyed was the uh, graphic novel Apollo. Have you? I have not read it. Yet? No. It, uh, it it was neat because it came out around. Well, I read it anyway around the same time that First Man, the film, came out uh, oh, okay. about the moon landing, and and the com the graphic novel is about the moon landing. So, and I have this obsession with space. Um, so I was really looking forward to how they would both portray. The, the moon landing, which we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of it next year. The, the film, I, I, I was a bit disappointed by the, the, the characterization uh, in the film. I loved the space scenes. Uh, I thought they were really well done. The, the graphic novel was, was really good. And what I love there, too, is, again, the, the space scenes. That's, there's something about, I don't know, the artistic portrayal of space. Because it's all dark and it's all black. And I just find that somehow you know, when an artist is able to take that exceedingly dark backdrop and bring it to life you know it requires a real subtle skill um you know the way they, they break the, the stars and and the colors of you know the moon or, the, or whatever planetary phenomenon you, you have you know i think it requires a real skill it's it's definitely a mark of a great artist when they do something like that with sci-fi um and there's so many different approaches to it as well i mean going back to the great jack kirby it's the kirby crackle Right, he fills in this negative space with all this color and pop and and uh, and just you know ubiquitous shapes that you know really shouldn't be there, but they work for his art. And then we go to people like Karina Becco, uh, the artist for for Green Lantern Earth One and Invisible Republic, and her art is just sparse and um, almost lonely, but still very enveloping and in, engaging. Right, um, it's absolutely amazing. I love mm -hmm. it. Yeah, we could do a whole episode around the portrayal of space. Oh my God, we comics. should. We yeah. absolutely should. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's actually a brand new Green Lantern comic that just came out, uh, written by Grant Morrison, and uh, art by Liam Sharp. She was the artist on Wonder Woman uh, when they relaunched her two years ago, and this book is very colorful, and the art is just it's it's really. It's comic book art at its uh, most comic, hmm. but it works very well, and and with Grant Morrison's tone, which is very much, he's got a very odd way of writing that um, kind of it draws on the history of the characters in a way that you know it doesn't take itself super seriously, but it makes it fun and engaging, and then there's just so much more under the layers. I, I should say too that the art wasn't the only thing I liked about Apollo. The, the story was really well done as well, and uh, it's fairly short, so it can't really get into the intricacies of of that that mission. Um, I think there's still room for a, a much bigger comic about the moon landing. But uh, what I liked was it took the the main characters, the the three astronauts, and really ex kind of looked at the their own personal demons and the things that they were struggling with. But it's really hopeful, and I think that's what especially as we move towards celebrating the moon landing and reflect on the future of space exploration, you know, we really need to kind of rediscover that sense of hopeful discovery, um, which, which they do in, they kind of tap into in this book. You know, you see the, the, the three astronauts and their idealistic aspirations are almost juxtaposed against the president at the time, who was Nixon, and, you know, representing everything that's 
kind of vile and base about uh, humanity. So you have this real juxtaposition of of the the highs and the lows of humanity, um, which you know gives us something to reflect on today. I think as well. We only have about ten minutes or so left, but uh, yeah, there's some other uh, comics you want to talk about from this year. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So one of the comics that came out uh, fairly recently, actually, and has a bit of controversy behind it, and everyone loves a good controversy, uh, was Chelsea Kane's Maneaters. So Chelsea Kane was a writer at um, Marvel. She was going to do a follow-up to Tom King's run on The Vision. Now, Tom King's run on The Vision, uh, like I had just mentioned, uh, was very much a, an analysis of that character and the broken home that he had tried to build for himself. Um, and it was highly regarded. I believe it was nominated for an Eisner. And so Kane was supposed to do a follow-up. Marvel canceled it before it had even been solicited. Hmm. Now, Kane got a little bit of controversy behind her for her run on the character Mockingbird. There is a, a cover where Mockingbird's wearing a t-shirt that says, Ask me about my feminist agenda. Uh, which I thought was great, but uh, some people apparently didn't like it so much. Uh, some conservative factions in the comic wor- book world. No way. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that series was canceled. She was kind of put on retainer, said, you'll get to write a book again. Don't worry. And then they said, okay, you can write a follow-up to Tom King's vision. She had four of six issues written, scripts submitted. Marvel canceled it before the solicitation. Now, they cite it was because they wanted, uh, they had other plans for the character and they didn't want it to affect the continuity and the canon that they had already established with the character, which is fair enough. Uh, but Chelsea Kane was convinced that maybe it was a bit of an old boys club thing going on. So she went to Image and she started this comic, and the comic is very much uh, an expression of her sort of inner rage as a woman um the story is about uh, a universe where women uh, girls when they come to uh their menstrual cycle there's a possibility of them turning into cat people becoming literal man eaters and so that they're given this uh drug to keep them from turning into it and we have a, the, we have this story told from the point of view of a of a young girl who's you know she's just starting her period and just the the imagery around it like the the first cover, uh, you know has a tampon right on the cover, right. Third issue is a is a tampon box and you know there's she's very much trying to uh, flaunt, her. you know this shouldn't be something that men are afraid of, you know, uh, or maybe they should. Maybe you, you should be afraid of us women who are getting more empowered every day, uh, and we're coming for you. It's great. It's absolutely, it's a great statement, and it's just the, uh, the media and controversy around it and what she's, she's doing with it, and sort of the, the problems that she's highlighting in the comic book industry kind of make this a worthwhile read. Oh, wow. I, I don't know. I missed that entire scandal, but the, the backstory alone makes me urgently want to run out and, and buy the, this comic and read it. Um, how fascinating and, and how shocking, especially you know in this day and age, especially given that the comic industry has such a, a poor reputation, you know, uh, or a sexist reputation. Um, it astounds me that this would still be happening. Well, it's it doesn't surprise me, sadly, but no, it, uh, it's it's yeah, it's still a very conservative industry in many ways. Uh, as much as as at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how we're in a golden age that people can really. 
um, publish what they what they might not have been able to publish in, in the past. The same goes true to people who can who want to try to censor that. Uh, they're publishing things that are you know maybe uh, not as progressive in their views, and there's you know there's a whole subculture. I won't get into it right now, but you know there's that whole uh, there was the Gamergate. There's mm-hmm. a comics version of that as well. There's there's a vocal minority, uh, and for better or worse. People like Chelsea Kane are, are coming out and speaking out against it, and they're doing a fantastic job, I think. And we're getting more and more diverse um, creator-owned works of art that are just, you know, they're they're pushing those boundaries. And great, it's great stuff. Wow. Well, so many comics, so little time. Um, we are just about out of time, and I'll I'll just maybe suggest we clue up. What are you looking forward to reading over your Christmas holiday, David? I, I'm looking forward to catching up on my backlog. I have a huge backlog of comics. Um, I really like to delve into the history of comics, so I like reading some of the older material. And um, I'm currently reading. I'm finishing up the uh, House of Secrets by DC. I love House of Secrets. Oh, great! I'm I'm very much looking forward to finishing that up uh, over the holiday season. I've been reading the EC archive stuff uh, since October, you know, Halloween. Got to get in the spirit. So I'm I'm actually just finishing up Haunt of Fear. Uh, those are fun little stories, uh, almost like morality tales in a way, right? With a, a dark humor twist. And really, I'm I'm most looking forward to in January they're relaunching Criminal with uh, Edward Becker and Sean Phillips. They're returning to their universe. I really should stop harping on those two, but I just love their work so much. And uh, I'd love to see where Heroes in Crisis goes. Well, lots, lots of holiday reading. Absolutely. And, and reading in the new year. Hopefully, I'm sure we will have you back in the new year. would love to. Absolutely. I'd love to be back. Grand. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, tapping into the wisdom of David Stevens. We'll, I'm not sure if we'll have another podcast before the holidays. But uh, if not, then enjoy. Get plenty of comics reading in over the holiday season. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to The Comic Critics, a radio program and podcast produced at CHMR-FM in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. We'll be back in about two weeks with more comic-related popular culture.